welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Bible reading today for the message church is 1st Timothy chapter 3 if you have your Bible with you and you want to turn there uh, that'd be great we're going to read uh, the chapter in its entirety and that takes us uh, it's not too long takes us down to verse 16 um, and I'm reading out of the Bible that I have my Bible it's um, ESV the English Standard Version so um, it'll be on the screen as well Qualifications for overseers. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church, uh, for God's church? Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace, into a snare. Of the devil. Verse 8 Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, nor slanderers but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, manage their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so... um, Uh, to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of truth verse 16 great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit and seen by angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world and taken up in glory. This is God's word and may he bless it to our ears today. Thank you, Ray. Good morning, everyone. And thank you to Justin, too. Um, it's the first time Justin's got up and done the communion talk, and I always get a buzz seeing um, young people and new people get up and developing their gifts. So I'm sure hoping to hear more from Justin in the future. Great job, mate. Actually, it reminded me of a dream I had once, though, when uh, Justin was talking. I had this dream once that I'd uh, died and gone to heaven and um, I was in sort of this massive waiting room waiting for St Peter to sort of do the paperwork to let me in. But um, Peter was 
bit tied up, so I was standing around the waiting room looking around, and there was all these clocks all over the wall, like hundreds and thousands of clocks everywhere. And I went over to look, and the clocks all had names on them, and some were moving slow, and some were moving fast, and I was really puzzling. And I said to one of the angels who was standing there, I said, what's with all the clocks? And the angel explained to me, he said, well, everybody on earth has a clock, and every time they clock, every time they sin, their clock ticks and moves. I thought, oh, interesting. So I thought I'll do a bit of research on some people I know. So I, I, <laughs> I hunted around and I, I found Pastor Luke's clock and it was sort of like tick, tick, tick. And I thought, oh, interesting. I saw King Williams. It was sort of all rusty and, you know, cobwebs hadn't moved in a fair while. But, you know. <laughs> I saw Abel, you know, Abel, the youth leader. His was like tick, 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 tick. And I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be right. I saw Jared Swanton, one of our worship leaders, and his was like, it sort of did two full rotations just while I was watching. I thought, oh boy, someone's got to have a talk to that guy. Anyway, I was looking around, sussing you all out, and, but I couldn't find Rowan Walker's clock anywhere. And I checked under R for Rowan, checked under W for Walker, and I thought, what's going on here? And I said to the angel, I said, where's Rowan Walker's clock? And the angel said, oh, Peter keeps that one in his office, he uses it for a fan. <laughs> Anyway, dreams go by opposite, so they say. So it's all good, Rowan. But uh, thank you. No comment. Anyway, so we've been working through the book of First Timothy, for those of you who've been here. And we chose this series at this time specifically to lead up to the first AGM on June the 5th, when we have some important decisions to make as a church. Now, in most sermons, especially here at Follow, there is, we don't only want to explain to you what the Bible says, there is also something that we're hoping that we will all do in response to what the Bible says. And often we will, as I've said before, you know, the Bible is not just a book for information, the Bible is a book for transformation. And often we will do the explaining first, this is what the Bible says, and then at the end we'll say, so, you know, this is how we should respond, this is what we should do in response. So today I'm going to tell you first up what we should do in response to what the Bible says, because that'll help you to understand better as I'm trying to explain what it is. So what you need to do, as Ray has already explained, on the 5th of June at our annual general meeting, the members of this church need to elect elders and deacons to serve us, guide us, lead us. It's the responsibility of the members to nominate them and then the responsibility of the members to vote on those who are nominated. So that's what you have to do. But what you have to know first is, what sort of people are we looking for? Just anyone, or is there certain requirements necessary? So looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. The main focus of this morning's sermon will be verses 1 to 13, and the qualifications necessary for elders and deacons. But first of all, I'm just going to go to verse 14 and 15 to remind us again of why the first 13 verses are so important. Verse 14 says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church is important. This is God's household. This is The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Did you know that? People talk about the fountain of youth. Well, the church really should be the fountain of truth, especially if we actually stuck to the word of God and lived and conducted ourselves the way God calls us to do, 
than it really would be. So how we as a church conduct ourselves is important. And the people we elect as our office bearers are very important because they will influence us. They will shape and guide and mould who we are and what we become and how we act as a church. So it's very important to get the right people in the right places. So today we'll focus on the qualities required to be an elder or a deacon in a church. If you'd like to know more about elders and deacons and what it all means, there's a document here called Church Leadership. This is out at the Hub. It's also on the website. Please feel free. In fact, I encourage you to read this and give you a greater and deeper understanding, especially as you start to think about who would be suitable people for these roles. Last week we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I've just got to say publicly I'm extremely grateful to Pastor Luke for preaching last week and letting me preach this week. (laughs) But he talked about the role of women in the church, and he explained that we are all equal but different. We're created different, we have separate roles, different gifts and abilities. So today we look at elders and deacons, and again I'll tell you up front, they are equal but different. Different functions, different purposes, but equal. You may wonder why we even need elders and deacons in the church. You know, What are we paying the pastors for? Why do we need extra people as well? There's a story way back in Exodus chapter 18 where about Moses and Jethro. Now Moses, um, being a man, was trying to do everything himself and thought he could handle it all. And Jethro watched him one day and he spent the entire day listening to people argue. People came to him with their disputes and Moses had to make decisions and pass judgment and explain God's laws and you know there was a massive queue and Jethro, who was his father-in-law, took him aside and said, Moses, this, this doesn't make sense what you're doing. What you need to do is elect other people to share the, share the work, train them up so that they can share the work around. So sharing the work is definitely a biblical model. And also, we shouldn't expect Luke to do everything. And Luke himself is wise enough to know that the collective wisdom of a group of godly people is always better and safer than one person's opinion. Elders and deacons are simply, that's the the titles that we give to certain office bearers in the church. There are many other words uh, used as well, but um, we'll get to that in a moment. This series is called pattern, this whole book, series through First Timothy, and this is the pattern of leadership used in the church in the New Testament, which we can learn from and apply to ourselves today. Here at Follow, as has already been mentioned, the deacons will also be known as the management team, managing the details of day-to-day life within the church, and the elders will be known as the oversight team, and the members get to choose who those people are. So who should we look for? Who is suitable for this role? What does the Bible have to say? Let's go to verse 1 of chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the word overseer and elder is exactly the same word. Some translations use the word pastor, some translations use the word bishop. All of those four words basically the same role, the same function, the same purpose within the church. So the qualifications for pastors are the same as the qualifications for elders or overseers. The only difference in this context would be that a pastor does this as a career, as a vocation, and he is paid for it, whereas an elder might do it as a volunteer. He might have another career as a you know, school teacher, tradesman, bus driver, you know, accountant, 
lawyer, politician, maybe not a politician because they probably wouldn't pass the test. But, <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean. And aspiring to the role of elder is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with aiming for that, provided your motivation is right. First Peter 5 tells us, Peter writes, To the elders among you I appeal, as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So an elder or a pastor or an overseer is called to serve and to lead by example, to lay his life down for the church just as Jesus did for us. So to be honest, if someone is motivated by power and prestige and title and influence, then church leadership is probably not for those people. Local government might be a great place for those people to use their gifts and nothing wrong with local government because we need Christians in all walks of life, but deacons, sorry, elders, overseers within the church are called to serve and to lead by example. They, by, by example, in all, Luke talked a couple of weeks ago about mentoring and in every area of church life, we hope we are always training up other people to do the job that we're doing. Whether you're teaching kids church or follow kids, hopefully you're training up the helpers to be able to do that. When you're leading youth group, hopefully you're leading, training others the worship team, train younger people, newer musicians to do the work. And so elders should be setting an example in life to all of us of how we should live our life, how we should handle the things that life throws at us. They are called to lead by example. So the list of requirements. If you want to, uh, to be an elder, you need to do or to be these things. Verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I'm reading from the NIV version, by the way, so the church Bibles here are NIVs, or if you've got your own, feel free to um, leave these pages open at First Timothy. Now, all of those things I just read out, they're all good qualities, aren't they? They're things that all of us really should aspire to and strive to achieve. But it's fair to say that none of us ever achieve all of them in every area of our life. It's always what we should aim for. To be above reproach means blameless. There should be no obvious character flaws that are going to, um, you know, obviously turn people away, turn people off. An elder should be faithful to his wife. Or another version says, the husband of one wife. The literal translation from the Greek is, the man of one woman. Now, I think it's fair to say a bachelor could still be an elder, but not a philanderer, not a practising adulterer, not a bigamist. Those people would not be eligible to be an elder. To be blunt, be perfectly blunt, your sex life needs to be under control. Sexual sin has tarnished so many reputations. It has ruined so many ministries. It has damaged so many families. It has broken so many relationships. It is a powerful tool of the devil 
We need to resist it with all we have. Stay away from sexual sin. Families are destroyed. It hurts the people involved. It hurts the people around them. And it's a terrible witness. People from outside the church will always look at sexual sin within the church and label us as hypocrites. Just look at the Royal Commission. That has done more damage to the reputation of the whole church than anything else in this whole, our whole generation. If you want to be in church leadership, then the biblical pattern is compulsory. One man, one wife. Sex is great, but it belongs inside a marriage. Now, God can certainly forgive. God can heal. God can restore. One mistake does not have to last forever. But if you are still practicing or holding on to sexual sin, you need to repent. You need to let it go. You need to turn away before you put your hand up for church leadership. An elder or pastor or overseer must also be temperate, self-controlled and respectable. Other translations use words like vigilant, discreet, sober, well-behaved, hard-working, thoughtful, orderly, sensible, dignified, prudent and clear-minded. One version says he must exercise self-control, live wisely and have a good reputation. And that pretty well sums it up. The elder should also be hospitable. He should love people. He should care about the less fortunate. He should be kind to strangers. And also, an elder should be able to teach. Specifically, he needs to be able to teach from the Bible, explain biblical truths. A capable Bible teacher. An elder should should be not given to drunkenness. Now, some versions say not a drunkard. Other versions say not a drinker. So there's a bit of a contrast there. I know plenty of Christians who do enjoy a little bit of alcohol. Personally, I don't drink for a whole variety of reasons. But I think the point here is that we don't want church leaders making decisions, important, crucial decisions for the church while under the influence. Being an elder or pastor or overseer is a 24-7 role. It's not just on Sunday morning. It's not just at a, at a monthly meeting. Young Other people within the church will always look at your life as an elder or as an overseer. They will see you at your worst moment and they will follow that example. Well, it's all right for him to do it. it must be okay for me to do it. So we, we need to constantly be setting an example to all if you're in that role. So even if you do enjoy a social drink, you need to be very careful that it does not affect you or control you. An elder should also be not violent but gentle. So not a bully, not abusive, but someone who is a peacemaker, a a safe person to be around. How are we going? Are we narrowing the field at all yet? (laughs) An elder should be not quarrelsome not someone who argues just for the sake of it. It's perfectly fine to defend the truth. That is a good thing. But, you know, some people, they just love to argue. Well, that's not a, not a great quality for an overseer. And they should be not a lover of money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. Being poor or being rich has nothing to do with your qualifications for an elder. But Jesus told us very clearly, seek first the kingdom of God. So if money is someone's highest priority, if that is the the dream and the goal and the passion of their life, then that's an issue they need to deal with. 
Moving on to verse 4, it says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Note there's nothing here about age. We don't have to wait until someone is 60 or 65 before we nominate them to be an elder. This is far more about spiritual maturity than it is about age. The only proviso is they should not be a recent convert. They need some time to grow in the faith, to grow in their knowledge of the Bible and of God, to grow in their personal relationship with God. And preferably they need time to serve in other areas of church life, to prove themselves reliable and trustworthy and faithful and suitable for the role of an elder or an overseer. So that's the qualities we're looking for in our elders or our pastors in our oversight team. Now for the deacons. First of all, you may wonder, why do we need deacons as well? The pastors, the pastors and elders, why can't they handle everything? In Acts chapter 6 we read, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. It's great reading the book of Acts, chapter 2, 3, 4, everything is wonderful and everyone's in it together and it's fantastic. And you get to chapter 6 and they're fighting over food. And sadly, so many churches, they want to be an Acts chapter 2 church, but they end up being an Acts chapter 6 church. But let's look at how they dealt with disputes in those days. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to, to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So they had a problem in the church and they solved it by sharing the work around and the church continued to grow. What a perfect outcome. What a great solution. So you might notice the words elder and deacon aren't even used in that passage. So maybe you're thinking, what, what's the relevance? Well, the apostles were playing the role of elders and later on in the New Testament, uh, several of them are referred to as elders in the life of the New Testament church. And that's exactly what they are. And the deacons, what they were appointed to do is to manage the daily details. That's what a deacon does. Um, the word deacon literally comes from the, the Greek word for server. So in that context, the first deacons might have been waiting on tables, but we see later throughout the New Testament deacons serving, meeting people's needs, seeing what needs to be done and ensuring that it gets done in a godly, compassionate and fair way. So deacons, for example, may ensure that the money is handled correctly, ensure that the bills are paid, ensure that the maintenance, maintenance on the building is maintained. They will manage the day-to-day -day events, hence the 
the title management team because that is what they do. So who should our deacons be? Verse 8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Very similar qualifications from, in most part to the elder or the overseer. And being a servant is definitely nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus himself said he came not to be served but to serve. So to be a deacon, to be known as a servant, is to be known as someone who is like Jesus. And what, what higher praise could there possibly be? There may be a perception from some people that elders or pastors are somehow more significant or more important or more powerful than deacons. I don't think that's true at all. I think they are equal, both necessary, both important, both vital roles. Equal but different. A church with only deacons may be great at focusing on the business and the bills will be paid and the building will be perfect, but if there's no focus on spiritual life, then there's going to be no growth. On the other hand, a church that only has elders may be really great at praying and growing in the word, but if no one's caring about the practical details of life, they're going to run into trouble very soon, aren't they? So they are different roles, equally important, equally valid, working together as a pattern for biblical leadership. Equal but different. Then in verse 11, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now there is some dispute here whether this is talking about the wives of the male deacons or whether this is talking about female deacons. And I've done some research and talked to some people during the week and I'm pretty sure the answer is yes to both. Obviously the wife of a male deacon, it would be very good if she could be discreet and respectable and responsible and trustworthy and hospitable and all of those things. But there are other passages in the New Testament that clearly seem to indicate that women were serving in the role of deacons within the church. So it clearly seems to be that, yes, this verse does also apply to female deacons who are required for the same qualifications as the male deacons. The only real difference between the elders and the deacons is that the elders are required to have the ability to teach. Now, obviously, everyone in the church, we teach by the example we set, by the life we live, by the way we act. And we are role models, whether we like it or not. And I think specifically this is talking about the ability to teach verbally, to teach the Bible, to, to publicly explain what the Bible is saying. That is something expected of elders, but not necessarily from deacons. But deacons are certainly not disqualified from teaching. In that passage in Acts chapter 6, the first two names there, Stephen and Philip. And if you keep reading through the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, it's all about Stephen and Philip and the work they did, their public speaking, their sermons, their evangelism. They were very effective and very good. And so there is definitely no limit on what a deacon can do, but they are not necessarily required to be a teacher. In fact, probably in hindsight, you could look at those two guys and think they easily could have been elders, had all the same qualifications, plus they could teach. But it just shows us there is no 
limit to what a deacon can do within the church. So, this is the list of qualities, list of characteristics that we should look for in our elders or pastors and also in our deacons or deaconesses. They are characteristics that we should all strive for and yet they are characteristics that few, if any of us, can really live up to constantly. To try to sum it all up, to abbreviate it all, what we're really looking for is people who are godly and wise and peaceful. But let's note what is not said in any of these passages. There is nothing about wealth, there's nothing about looks, there's nothing about your outside career. As I said before, being poor or wealthy has no impact on your ability to serve as a deacon or an elder. The things the world considers important are quite different to the things that God considers important. There's a story back in 1 Samuel about um, Samuel the prophet. Uh, God calls him to go and anoint the person who is going to be the next king of Israel. And God leads him to the town of Bethlehem and to a specific family. And Samuel asks to, to be introduced to the sons. He's going to anoint one of them. And out comes the oldest son and he's a fine looking figure of a man. And Samuel thinks to himself, oh yeah, he'll be a good king. And God says, no, not that one. And Samuel says, oh, send me the second son. And out he comes and Samuel again thinks, oh, yeah, this, this guy will be a great king. Just look at him. And God says, no, 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 not that one. And one after another, all of the sons are introduced and God says, no, until he gets to the youngest son in that culture, the, the least important, the least significant son of all comes out. And God says, that's the one. And First Samuel Chapter 16, verse 7 tells us, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it's worth noting that a pastor doesn't have to be tall, dark and handsome, and that's very good news for some of us. <laughs> so the world, the world looks at success in a different way than we do. They look at fame and career and status and power and wealth, but God looks at character an entirely different approach. And that is what we need for ourselves as we try to discern who are the right people. So we apply this to our situation today here at Follow Church. We're looking for people with these qualities, qualities all of us should aim for, but few of us ever actually achieve. So you're thinking to myself, well, everyone should be striving for it. No one's actually achieving for it. How can we know who are the right people? And that's a very good question. That's the, the crucial question in all of this. We need wisdom. We need great wisdom. We need godly wisdom. And fortunately, James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it, being wisdom, will be given to him. So what we really need to do today and every day is to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray earnestly, sincerely for God's discernment, God's wisdom. Pray to see people through God's eyes. We need to pray about who to nominate. Then we need to pray about which of the nominees we actually select to be our office bearers. And after they are chosen, we need to continue to pray for them. We need to hold them accountable to these standards that are required. Pray that they can uphold that. 
Pray that they can serve well. Pray that they can lead us by example. Pray to support them. Pray for their families. And we all have a role to play. We are all members of one body. We don't just elect them and then let them do the work. You might have heard this analogy before that a church is not like a cruise ship where you can simply just sit back and enjoy the ride and someone else does everything for you. The church is much more like a navy ship where it works best if everybody plays their role. So we all need to find our place to serve. What can we do? What can we contribute? We all need to do our part. And let us all pray and seek appropriate people to be our elders and our deacons. Pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Dave. Great message this morning. Great reminder of what it actually takes. And and that point that it doesn't matter about wealth or the outward appearance, that's not what God looks at. That's great. Um, Dave actually told me before the service today that he was going to use me as the butt of his joke. But I was thinking while he was speaking, he didn't mention his own clock. (laughs) Obviously, God got the better fan. (laughs) I've been thinking about that for half an hour. (laughs) He actually did say to me, feel free to return fire. And when he said, oh, it's a good joke. I've heard that before. But what am I going to do for this one? (laughs) 